0: Hi, I'm Talissa. And I'm Rachel, and this is Transatlantic Crime, a true crime podcast that covers stories from each side of the pond. Every week, we will both cover a separate story with a running theme. Disclaimer, this podcast will
1: contain swearing and details that some people may find offensive. If you are of a sensitive disposition, listener discretion is advised.
0: Welcome Welcome to 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 Transatlantic Crime. Crime. (laughs)
1: Hello, Rachel. <laughs> like, I haven't been talking to you for the past ten minutes. <laughs> Hi, Talissa. How's it going, mate? Just pretend. Oh, hey, didn't see you there. Oh, hey, person <laughs> I've been waiting around
0: for, drinking this wine. <laughs> How are you? Any, any news? Well, I told you that there was a dead body around the corner from my apartment. Oh, my
1: God. Yeah, what the fuck?
0: Yeah, so I was walking Tito, and this is when I... I really wish that I was an early morning person, but I'm not. Not me neither. If I was, maybe I would have stumbled on something before the police did. Rage.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like that genuinely would have ruined your day, like as exciting as it sounds.
0: <laughs> but no, it was like You go- fucking ghoul. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, what happened? A full street corner was taped off. There was a tent. And on the Citizen app, there wasn't much. It just said police activity, but people were commenting. And someone said that it was a woman's body that was found. And someone else was like, hopefully it wasn't the Rona. A what? Yeah, they said, like, there's a lot of homeless people just down the block from that area. And they said, oh, maybe hopefully it wasn't some homeless person who just kind of died from coronavirus and someone else said that they talked to a witness or someone who stumbled upon the body and said it it was found in a way that definitely wasn't the coronavirus so whoa yeah well let's keep our eyes peeled i know all the tape is gone now it's been a couple of days and so i walked past that area and i'm pretty sure i know where it was because i could smell like cleaner around and there's like this area on the corner where it's just a bunch of big plants and trees so if something was there it would definitely be hidden and it's kind of a it's like a dark little corner even though it's sunny out but Because there's so many plants, then you could tell that maybe something was hidden there. So, yeah. I think you should write into the police with your theories. (laughs) Hey, this corner was dark. Maybe you should check it out. You're sincerely Detective Rachel. (laughs) I have a crime podcast.
1: (laughs) I think I would know. Yeah. (laughs) Well, fuck. Let's hope that's all I... Well, obviously it's not okay, but let's hope it's not like a fucking maniac. Yeah, I'm going to keep my eyes
0: out and maybe I'll see some suspicious activity fingers you know, crossed you a
1: maybe you'll see a fucking possum that they think is a pig in the back of a van on the citizen app
0: the killer possum well according to you they could kill people yeah they're vicious
1: <laughs> did you not see on social media we had a like for team possum comment for <laughs> no people got a bit confused and they commented for yes but that was fine i think they just wanted to give feedback about how they do like possums which i completely <laughs> understand so yeah there's everything to play for as we go into the next round Maybe right. we can get some other like disgusting animal to like
0: do for the next one. What's it? Another a bat?
1: No, nobody likes those. Fucking coronavirus, mate. They are in. <laughs> They, their name is Mud. <laughs> They've been cancelled. Bats. Hashtag cancel bats. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck those guys. Um, so I'm trying to think if there's anything to say, apart from my fucking eyebrows have stopped working because it's so fucking hot in here. Um, no, I think that's it. Have you got anything else, Rachel? Or should we crack on to this week's story? Let's do
0: it. Episode 11. Celebrity killers. You're,
1: yeah, you're going uh, first this week, right? Yes. I'm really excited because... I was looking for celebrity killers, and basically in England, there's only one at the moment, which is Michael Barrymore, and, like, another UK podcast just came out with an amazing four-parter that I couldn't ever compete with, so there's, like, no point in that. And it's just had a really big documentary as well. English celebrities tend not to kill people, really. Is that who you're doing? No, that's not who I'm doing, that's why I said it. Okay. No, Michael Barrymore.
0: Okay. I was going to say, because I'm sure you saw the same list of, like, 50 celebrities who've killed people. (laughs) It's like, yeah, of course I Googled celebrities who kill people. It's (laughs) like, why are we so lazy? (laughs) Sometimes I I try and be a little creative and I'm like, bizarre celebrity killers or, you know, something (laughs) with. I love that that's like a
1: millennial's idea of creative. (laughs) (laughs) Like switching up your Google search.
0: (laughs) Just add the word bizarre. Yeah. You won't believe. (laughs) Yeah, but there aren't quite a few, but a lot of them are like, oh, this person was in a car crash and killed people. There's a bunch of those, but a couple of stories that I wanted to do are all really well covered, so I'm not doing anything new. That's what I like about you, Rach. You always go for like, you always pull something out of your little back pocket. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I wanted to do Snoop Dogg, but he didn't actually kill anyone. Didn't he? No. What's, What's he done now? His story, it's also on that podcast, uh, what's it called, Disgraceland, I think it's called. Oh, yeah, 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 I've heard of it, yeah. Uh, they did a big podcast on that. This story that I'm about to do has had multiple podcasts, documentaries, and films about it, but I still didn't really know too much about it, so I decided to research it. Okay, cool. Okay, on the evening of July 18th, 1969... While most Americans were home watching television reports on the progress of Apollo 11 lunar landing mission, Ted Kennedy and his cousin Joe Gargan were hosting a cookout and a party at a rented cottage on Chappaquiddick Island, an affluent island near Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. Okay. Do you know who Ted Kennedy is? I
1: know who Ted Kennedy is. Isn't he the one who got shot in the car?
0: No. No, that's JFK. John F. Kennedy was the president about ten years earlier. It was a big deal that the Apollo eleven was landing because basically JFK set that up. Okay. Um and started. But he wasn't that. the
1: president when it happened, was it was he?
0: No, he had been assassinated by this point. Uh okay. So he's the one that got shot. Yeah. And so then his Ted brother, is his little brother. So JFK got shot. This story takes place in nineteen sixty nine. A year before that, Ted Kennedy's other brother Robert Kennedy or Bobby Kennedy was also shot oh my
1: god I should remember this from Forrest Gump
0: because <laughs> he documents it like perfectly <laughs> yeah so basically Ted Kennedy is the last surviving Kennedy brother and Shit. he's he's kind of holding the torch for everything political that the Ken- Kennedy's t- can do and I chose wow. this story too because the Kennedy's are kind of the only royal family of America Yeah. They are the biggest celebrities. Everyone knows who the Kennedys are. Mm -hmm. I'm supposedly related to them, too. Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to need some kind of proof. I don't know. I've just been told. Really?
1: By who? Uh, My grandma on my dad's side. Oh, were you like, I cannot reveal my sources? Yeah.
0: It's a secret.
1: (laughs) Okay, well. I look forward to hearing about how your family
0: killed someone. (laughs) So Ted Kennedy is the celebrity in this. He's the famous person. So he was holding a party because his brother had died. His brother had been assassinated. And some of the people that worked for his brother Bobby were like a core team of people. Like they all were, they were really close. And they would meet up and kind of reminisce about their time working for Bobby Kennedy. So this is kind of what one of those parties was where they, they all just kind of met up. So six men and six women attended. Mary Jo Kopechny was one of the attendees. At 28 years old, she was part of the group known as the Boiler Room Girls, who worked for the late Senator Robert F. Kennedy's 1968 presidential campaign. This that sex thing? What? The Boiler Room Girls. (laughs) No, they're known as the Boiler Room Girls because they worked in a room with no windows, and they worked really hard, and they were just kind of this- this Like us! Yeah! (laughs) Except they were sitting in this room and they each had phones and they were calling up delegates and trying to get them on Robert F Kennedy's side. So yeah, I could do that job. <laughs> I just imagine it being very like they're really hardworking, but then they're also women and they're they're like being kind of flirty to all the politicians. Yeah, that's like,
1: why you're calling them. Yeah, like, exactly. Exactly. It's
0: almost like it's like a sex
1: line, but for like <laughs> instead of getting like money per minute, you're getting like. Supporters for Kennedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I, I 100% could do that job. I used to work in
0: sales, and nice. if my job was getting the Kennedys into office, definitely could do it. <laughs> yeah. That was the party. Ted Kennedy was the last surviving Kennedy son and remained as the political leader of the family with a potential run at the presidency in his future. So he was. I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I know. If you were a Kennedy, you'd be like, uh, I'm going to lay take low. a step back. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that. So six men, six women, they're all partying. Around 11.15 p.m., Ted Kennedy left the party with Mary Jo Kopechny. The two got into Kennedy's 1967 Oldsmobile Delmont 88 and drove off. They had to catch the Edgartown Ferry, which stopped running at midnight. As Kennedy approached the road leading to the ferry that connects Chappaquiddick Island with Martha's Vineyard, he took a sharp turn into the unpaved dike road, drove for a short distance, and after driving about half a mile, he came to a small bridge that spans an inlet. The bridge okay. is only ten and a half feet wide, has no railings, and used primarily by fishermen traveling in jeeps and beach buggies. So, is he not supposed to be going over this bridge? No, like there in was a car? no reason for him to have turned that way.
1: What are you doing, mate? Yeah, Kennedy's missed- trying to get a makeout spot. <laughs> possibly
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> he was also married and his wife was pregnant so oh kennedy missed the ramp to the bridge and drove into Poocha pond according For to sake. kennedy's statement to police the car turned over and sank into the water and landed with the roof resting at the bottom he said i attempted to open the door and window of the car but have no recollection of how i got out of the car Mm. He dove multiple times to rescue her, but he couldn't. She was trapped in the car. Fuck me. Yeah. He said, I came to the surface and then repeatedly dove down to the car to an attempt to see if the passenger was still in the car. I was unsuccessful in the attempt. I was exhausted and in a state of shock. The car was in about six feet of water. Oh, mate. You're probably, you're a Kennedy. You're probably about six foot one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Actually, I don't know how tall he was. Like,
1: all the presidents are tall. I've, like, put research into this. Really? Like, yeah. All the past presidents are, like, over six foot. Nearly all of them. Wow. Maybe not, like, the really old ones, because, like, people were shorter then, but, like, most recent presidents have been tall. Interesting. You you look like you don't believe me. (laughs) I'm just like, (laughs) when were you looking this up and why? (laughs) I can't remember. And, like, it might be bullshit, and I'm sure someone will correct me. Every episode, there's something I say that should be corrected, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) It's like an Easter egg.
0: (laughs) Yes. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know how tall he was. The water was about six feet, and I guess the tide was really strong at that point as well. So he was just exhausted. Okay, but a car is like four five feet tall. So she was a foot under the. I don't know. Whatever. I have no idea. It's very strange. It's like, I'm five foot seven. I'm five five. I would have just been under that water if anyone was t- if someone was six feet tall they would be you could stand up in the water. yeah
1: it's but weird. where they well, they must have been fucking drunk as well. They've just had a massive party and in the 60s people just drove drunk all the time. no yeah. problem. yeah so they were probably just pissed up as
0: well. Yeah all right so he gives up diving in the water trying to save Mary Jo. but you'd know she'd be dead. You'd be like. If I don't save you, you're dead. Imagine, though, like, you just crashed your car. <sighs> so you just sat there looking at your watch going, yep, definitely dead now. I, I don't like... know. <laughs> I mean, he's he keeps diving in. But anyways, let's get back into this. <laughs> like, Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Sorry. So he gave up. He walked back to the cottage, passing multiple houses, one of which would have had a light on, and summoned Paul Markham, a lawyer and advisor, and his cousin, Joe Gargan. Two guys at the party. The three returned to the scene of the accident and dove into the water several times, but failed to rescue Kopechny. Kennedy and the two men walked to the ferry slip and he dove into the water and swam a mile back to Edgartown. So what? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they say like nearly all the time when somebody's guilty,
0: they flee the scene of the crime. Yeah. And he so... it, and the two guys as well. They were just like, all right, see ya. Yeah, yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> I suppose he's a
1: Kennedy and he can do what he wants, but...
0: Yeah. That's this, exactly. Also, this is... I should mention, this is a very condensed story. There's obviously a film, there's a podcast, there's like a seven-part podcast that came out a couple of years ago. So Whoa. this is a very condensed story of how I'm telling it. Anyway, so he jumps in the water and he swims a mile back to his hotel. He returned to his room at the Shire Town Inn, changed his clothes... And at 2.25 a.m., he stepped out of his room when he spotted the innkeeper, Russell Peachy. He complained Mm. about a noise coming from a nearby party and asked what time it was. Some say this was to establish an alibi. Yeah. He then returned to his room. During that time, he reportedly made 17 phone calls to friends and political aides between the the time of the accident and when he finally reported it to the police the following morning.
1: I have never heard of this. This is fucking crackers. Really?
0: Yeah, I've never heard of it, ever. Okay, well, you should listen to the podcast. It's called Cover Up. Yes, I fucking will. At about 8.20 a.m., Edgar Towne Police Chief Dominic Arena got a call from Mrs. Pierre Malm, whose house was about 100 yards from the accident scene. She reported an overturned car in the water submerged except for the wheels. Chief Arena said he drove immediately to the accident scene, put on a bathing suit and dived in in search of victims. The tide was too strong and he was unable to find anything. He sat on the car to wait for divers. And there's a picture of him sitting on the bottom of the car that's sticking out of the water just kind of waiting yeah. around.
1: So, okay, like that makes sense that the tires are sticking out because we already said, but then he said he he was probably sober, right? And he couldn't find anything. Oh, he this is the, poli- the this is
0: the police chief. Oh,
1: yeah, so maybe he isn't bullshitting then. Yeah. No, not him, I mean Kennedy. Yes,
0: yeah. Yeah. And there's an interview with him too on this short YouTube video I watched, and he was like, the tide was really strong, and I couldn't get down there. So, That's mad. Yeah. Police had also by this time called in the license plate and knew it belonged to a Kennedy. One Oops. officer even wondered which Kennedy might come up from the water, like... Fucking hell, you you would, wouldn't you? Yeah, like, if
1: it was a Kennedy's body. I mean, I would put my money on that if I was putting my money on anyone being dead in that car.
0: (laughs) Miss Kopechny's body was recovered from the car shortly before 9am. Kennedy, meanwhile, had gotten up that morning, he went back to Chappaquiddick, and then he went back to his hotel. So he took a ferry back to Chappaquiddick, and I think he met up with his, the people who was at the party, or his cousin, and then he went back, took the ferry back to his hotel. And he hasn't spoken to the police once? Not to this point. Okay. Then finally, nearly nine hours after the accident, he walked into police headquarters in Edgartown at 9.45am to report what had happened. One of his aides had gone, you better go now, they told him. Yeah, by this time the, the police had already been called, They already found the body. They already knew it was a Kennedy's car. Yeah. So it's like maybe by that point, one of his aides or people knew that the police knew something. So they were like, oh, you better go in. This doesn't look good now. Yeah. When Kennedy turned himself into police, Kennedy was calm and collected. It wasn't like a normal person who had been in a fatal accident, the police said. It was almost like he was an actor and he had a script to go by. Well, he did Probably hmm. Chief Arena said that he had questioned Kennedy about the accident. I was satisfied with the answers. Arena said no charges were placed against the senator and gave no indication that any were contemplated. There was no evidence of speeding by Kennedy, he said, adding that he considered the incident as strictly a motor vehicle accident. One police wow. officer said he could smell alcohol on Kennedy's breath. They did not, however, test his blood alcohol content. Kennedy always maintained he only had a couple of drinks that evening. Brugier, one of the officers, says he found two garbage cans full of beer and liquor bottles at the cottage, but soon after, he said someone dumped the cans and cleaned the cottage before investigators could take photos. Similarly, Officer Mola, another officer at the scene, says he went to the funeral home to see Kopechny's body, but was told it had already been flown off the island.
1: Whoa! No, that is weird.
0: Yeah. A medical examiner said that she died from drowning, but they never did an autopsy report, or if they did, it wasn't found. Shit. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, like, I think, because in the Michael Barrymore story, the one I'm not doing, (laughs) there's there's a bit where he basically, like, A, he runs from the scene, just like this. B, he calls his assistant and slash manager person and gets them to go around the house and clean up. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, then the police, like, come. So it just goes to show, like, celebrities, because you have money, you have assistance. And because you have assistance, you can, like, make stuff go away.
0: Yeah. And with Kennedy, he had his family telling him what to do and giving him advice. He also had his, not just assistants, but people, like, actual lawyers and things telling him what to do and what to say. So... There is, they do say at one point that when he started telling his lawyers and stuff, they kind of took control of him and told him what to do. And he didn't really, he wanted to tell the truth, but he wasn't able to do what he wanted because he was upholding his family name and all the people behind him were telling him what to do.
1: Yeah, also when you, if you kill someone with a car, the best thing to do... (laughs) the worst thing to do but like (laughs) the best thing to do for your own defence is to like fuck off for as long as you can because they can't prove you were drunk or under the influence of something if they're not there at the time right so like for example my stepmom, her brother got killed in a hit and run oh wow and the guy the guy just went on the run for like a couple of days and so they couldn't breathalise him yeah so they couldn't breathalise him so he didn't get done for drunk driving he got like a suspended sentence he didn't get any prison time
0: yeah And the police said that when Ted Kennedy came in, they didn't test him for alcohol because they were like, it was 10 hours later. What was the point?
1: Yeah, there is no point. Exactly.
0: Ted Kennedy personally notified Kopechny's family of the accident. I don't know how that went down. So that was July 18th. At a July 25th, 1969 court hearing, Kennedy pled guilty to a charge of leaving the scene of an accident and received a two-month suspended jail sentence. He got a two-month jail sentence, but it was suspended. He didn't have to do it.
1: I think that's, like, actually quite heavy for what I thought he would get, which is absolutely fucking nothing. Really? So, like, maybe, yeah, I didn't think he'd get in trouble at all. But then maybe her parents were like, absolutely not. Like, you're not getting away with this.
0: Yeah, and I think that people would, there would have been an uproar as well from the media and things like that. And the opposing party, because weren't they Democrats? Yes.
1: Yeah, so in, well, maybe all over the world, but in America especially, I think if some, well, it happens in England too, if a politician does something, the opposition try and make that all about politics and be like, they're fucking morally
0: like corrupt, you shouldn't vote for this party. Yeah, and that's Um, exactly what happened to him for the rest of his life after this. Yeah. The Republicans used it as a way of like, oh, you can't trust this guy. Yeah, so he would know ne- he was never going to get the presidency. Right. And also he was only charged for one count. One of the producers of the podcast Cover Up, I read an interview with her and she was like, "He should have been charged for way more than just leaving the scene of an accident. He should have been charged for reckless driving, yeah. maybe even drunk driving, leaving a possible like tampering with evidence, maybe." Yeah. Like, yeah just so yeah. many other ones but he was only charged for one and that was leaving the scene of an accident
1: but again money like got enough money to whittle that and maybe friends like friends in high places like to whittle the charges down to as little as they can
0: yeah and he he is in the highest place his he's a senator right yeah and he's a kennedy so what is the do? highest place you could be in politics i think so that was on july 25th he had a court hearing in On the same day, he had a televised statement. He read out his statement, and you can see it on YouTube. He said, his conduct immediately after the accident made no sense to me at all, and he regarded his failure to report the accident immediately as indefensible.
1: Well, he just did defend
0: it, though. Like, (laughs) (laughs)
1: so, what are you trying to fucking double speak me, Kennedy?
0: (laughs) Right, why are you on TV right now? (laughs) Yeah, just shut up. (laughs) Yeah. A friend of the senator's said it weighed on him for the rest of his life. He wrote in his memoir, it had led to a lifetime of atonement. Such as cheating on your wife more, drinking loads at parties more,
1: etc. Not going to jail. (laughs) All of that. God, such hard work.
0: (laughs) There are numerous conspiracy theories surrounding this incident. One was that her death could have happened anytime between 11.30pm Friday and 1am Saturday. As an off-duty deputy sheriff named Huck Look maintained he saw a car matching Kennedy's at 12.40 a.m. And he said it was like recklessly driving. But that always made me think, like, why didn't he do anything? He was just like, oh, just some drunkards. Crazy (laughs) driving. That's not my job. Both Kennedy and Kopechny had previously driven down the same road, which led to a secluded ocean beach just beyond the bridge. So that kind of goes to maybe they were going to, going to make out point.
1: <laughs> yeah, they were going to have some sexy time in the backseat, 100%. Or, oh no, I'm not going to do because I do this every week where I guess what's going to happen and you go, wait there, and then I go, yes, <laughs> and then it may or may not be right, but I still always try and jump ahead, so I'm going to shut the fuck
0: up. <laughs> well, these are all the conspiracy theories now. Like So both Kennedy and Kopechny had previously driven, driven down the same road. In addition, Kopechny had left both her purse and room key at the party. So, yeah. Women never leave their purse. Exactly. What the... She must have been very incapacitated or... I don't know. There's more. There's more. Okay, The coverage at the time often implied some sort of improper relationship between Kennedy and Kopechny. That could have also been the... (laughs) (laughs) The party was cast as vaguely illicit. Since most of the men mm. were married and all of the women were single. When you said six men and six women, I thought you meant
1: couples. Like, Mm-mm. I thought you meant, oh, that's like a little threesome date. Like,
0: <laughs> not in a weird way.
1: Just yeah. like a double date, but like 3 of couples. No, yeah. Like, that's bring your wife.
0: That was another thing was the girls were boiler room girls and maybe a couple of their friends. And all the men were, they were married. So, it's yeah, like, there's what some was ba- going on there?
1: It's like Mad Men, like everyone's cheating on their wife.
0: (laughs) Kay Martin, who was one of the boiler room girls but did not attend the party, says that the gathering was characterized as something other than what it was and that Kopechny was portrayed in a very negative light. Is he trying to say that he was just giving her a ride home then? Yeah. Does he have any excuse for her being in his car? Yeah, they they both wanted to catch the ferry before midnight because... He was going to his hotel, and she wanted to ride back to her hotel. But there's also another storyline mm-hmm. as well. While the medical examiner ruled drowning as the cause of death, some believe she suffocated. An inspector Fuck. for the Massachusetts Registry of Motor Vehicles also investigated the accident and said that parts of the roof and the trunk appeared to be dry. How, what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> like, it, No, I just mean like, they say the roof and the trunk appeared to be dry. So... Oh, and he said it went in and, like, flipped over. So you're yes. saying that he maybe pushed it in with a yes. dead body in it. yeah? Right. Okay. The responders also found a purse belonging to Rosemary Kyo, one of the other women who attended the party, leading to speculation that Kennedy was actually taking Kyo to the beach that evening. According to this theory, Kopechny may even have been asleep in the back seat, with Kennedy and Kyo unaware of her presence. Ooh. Kyo herself suggested that the truth was less complicated, telling the Boston Globe in 1974, my friend Mary Jo just happened to be in the wrong car at the wrong time with the wrong people.
1: Well, the Kennedys are fucking Jonas. <laughs> they are bad pennies. Like, nothing yeah. good will come will come from hanging around with a Kennedy, apparently.
0: Yeah. Like, um, So that, I think makes me scratch my head the most because it's like she literally said that Mary Jo was in the car at the wrong time with the wrong people so Uh. if that woman was saying that there were multiple people in the car yeah you could take that two ways you could take that with the wrong people as in there
1: was more than one person yeah or with the wrong people as in the Kennedys who are either a bad luck or b he was like he strangled her or whatever or is he dead? Because if not, this is fucking libel.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. My theory... Is Ted, Ken- Ted Kennedy's dead, right? He's He died in 2009. I, yeah. I am safe. I don't think he actively killed her. I think that it's possible that he was wasted. Maybe a couple of people were in the car and he drove off, he drove off the bridge. And then maybe she was asleep in the back. Everyone got out of the car and they're like, oh shit, Mary Jo's in there. Yeah, but and what then, kind
1: of car is this? Like the Well, I suppose it's the 60s and then no one wore seatbelts. Whereas like now yeah. you'd wear a seatbelt, you'd be strapped in your seat. Like, right. Yeah, I guess you could just float
0: around that car willy-nilly. I don't know. Okay, so Gwen Kopechny, Mary Jo's mother, believed Kennedy had been behaving erratically after the accident due to shock and, mi- and a minor concussion, but she didn't understand how Joe Gargan and their other friend, Markham, Kennedy's aides who also attempted to retrieve Mary Jo from the car after the accident, didn't report the accident or force Ted to do so. So why did Gargan and Markham just let Ted Kennedy swim back to his hotel and then they were just like, all right, I'm going back to bed. You know, why didn't they call the cops?
1: Yeah, that is crazy. Like, so that's three people that should be charged with the same thing that he's charged with, surely?
0: Yeah, exactly. There has been speculation over the years that Kennedy and his family used their influence to ensure the senator did not face more severe penalties.
1: What do you mean there's been speculation?
0: (laughs) Like, come on. I know. That's what happened. In 1979, Ted made his only bid for presidency, challenging President Jimmy Carter for the Democratic nomination. Oh, okay. The loss was blamed in part on the scandal that haunted him. All in all, Kennedy was elected to eight terms as a U.S. senator and served from 1962 until his death in 2009. Only three other senators have served longer. So he Jeez. basically worked as a senator and was voted in as a senator for the rest of his life after this. He still okay. <laughs> was he handsome? Because that counted for a lot back then, I think. <laughs> Not I mean- as much as his other brothers. Like, is he the ugly brother? He's the Luke Hemsworth of the Kennedys. Kraken <laughs> <in> referenced that. <laughs> not saying Luke Hemsworth is not. Like you wouldn't kick him out of bed. <laughs>
1: yeah. But, like you think you're better than Luke Hemsworth.
0: <laughs> but of all the brothers, he would be the last one. Okay. That you would bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh oh, dear. In the immediate aftermath of the, of the car accident, the nation and the media were largely distracted by the Apollo 11 moon landing. When the media finally turned to the incident, most of the stories focused on Kennedy's political future and dismissed Kopechny. Yeah, she's such an afterthought. Right, exactly. One headline read, Teddy escapes, blonde drowns. No! Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) However, Kopechny had made waves in the time she worked in Washington. She was quiet, self-effacing, never bragged, a friend said. Kopechny strongly supported the civil rights movement, and after graduating college, she moved to Montgomery, Alabama, where she taught at an all-black high school. She moved to Washington, D.C. in 1963 and joined Bobby Kennedy's staff the following year drawn to the senator because of his focus on social justice issues. So that's the story of Mary Jo Kopechny and Ted Kennedy.
1: Wow. I yes. never knew that. That is crazy.
0: Yeah. And there's so much more to it. Like, don't, li- don't just the... listen to me telling this story because this is a very condensed <laughs> version.
1: I think you've got all the details in, though. I mean, in a nutshell. like Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do at the moment because we keep overrunning like a motherfucker.
0: Exactly. (laughs) I tried to keep it very condensed. I was like, Like, this is a good story. And then I got into it and I was like, why did I choose this one? There's so much to this story.
1: (laughs) So, you know, you said that um, the Apollo moon landing happened and Mm -hmm. so it didn't get reported. Like, I didn't realize that that happens a lot of the time. Like, for example, if something happens over here, like, there's fucking, like, wars and bombings in, like, Yemen that we hear nothing about. Yeah. Because the news... Which is obviously... currently happening. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I pulled that out of my arse, but it is actually happening. <laughs> like, But, yeah, it just... And it was, like, around September 11th, like, if anyone went missing or if anyone was murdered or anything like that, like, around September 11th, you can fucking forget
0: getting right. any news coverage about it. You're, yeah. like, page 10 isn't there a famous there is a famous story of somebody who went missing or someone who died and because of september 11th it was just never covered it was never there's a podcast about it i'm just yeah there
1: is there's one about a woman that goes missing and then there's another one about a i just heard like um generation y did one like either this week or last week about a woman who was murdered by her husband but because it happened on september 11th well supposedly murdered by her husband like because it happened on september 11th like everyone was so distracted yeah that it just really didn't get the attention or devotion that it needed right and okay they but they brought up the fact that they said to witnesses where were you this night and they were like don't remember and it's like everyone fucking remembers where they were right like on september 11th everyone knows where they were so don't fucking lie <laughs>
0: All right, uh, so, yeah, nice, nice little segue about September 11th. <laughs> yeah, but do you know what? I think that's
1: a, I, I, that's like a party question. Like, if you're at a party, and I know it's a bit morbid, but I don't really have a good, uh, like, thermometer for what is morbid or not anymore. <laughs> but, like, if you go to somebody, so where were you on September 11th? It's a real conversation starter. Yeah. <laughs> for those of you who have social awkwardness, just crack out that question. Right. <laughs> Right, so my story this week, again, like yours, it's like, is it a murder? But anyway, I'm just, gonna, I'm not going to give too much away. i just going to okay. on. Okay. okay. But I will say this. Do you know the band The Who? Yes. Okay. And you know the drummer, Keith Moon? Yes. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you a story about him. Okay. Okay. So, obviously, a UK rock band. Yes. So, um, Keith John Moon was born on the 23rd of August... 1946 and grew up in Wembley which is North London? London, can't remember if it's North or South uh, Last week I said Essex was South of London, absolutely not true, it's, it's
0: What, like did you say
1: that? Yeah, I'm and you, missing these things, Talisa. Like You didn't correct me, you were just like sure, I just think you don't listen to me, like you just go yeah, yeah like, but I've got paranoid that no one listens to me anymore because Carly is like my old suffering husband because we've been in lockdown for, like, fucking three months. And sometimes I'll go, Yo, you weren't listening, were you? And she'll go, nah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's made me paranoid that no one listens to me. Maybe that's why I made a podcast. <laughs> so, he was hyperactive as a child and reportedly very good at art, but not many other subjects. He was interested in practical jokes and home science kits, with a particular fondness for explosions. <laughs> he joined his local sea cadet band at the age of 12, playing the bugle but found it too difficult to learn and decided that he wanted to take up the drums instead.
0: How hard is the bugle?
1: I think with a wind instrument, such as a trumpet or a bugle or something, you've got to purse your lips for, you can either do it or you can't. It's like rolling your tongue, I think. Or like the flute, like you have to have a very specific lip shape.
0: I'm just imagining a very young Keith Moon just getting increasingly frustrated (laughs) trying to play the bugle. Throwing a bugle out the window. (laughs) It's definitely not
1: as cool as the drums. Yeah, (laughs) I'll give him that. So on his way home from school, he would often go to Macquarie's Music Studio on Ealing Road to practice the drums there. And then he left school at the age of 14. And that was in 1961. And then he enrolled at Harrow Technical College. And this led to a job as a radio repairman, which enabled him to buy his first drum kit of his own. So he took lessons from one of the loudest contemporary drummers so this is like for music buffs. If anyone knows these people or that school, then they I think they were noted down for a reason, that they're famous or whatever, but Screaming Lords Such as Carlo Little. That's, that's what the drummer was called. That okay, him. never okay. heard of him. Me neither. Um, and then in April 1964, when he was 17, he auditioned for The Who as a replacement for Doug Sandham. He was dressed in ginger clothes with his hair dyed ginger, And Pete Townsend later described him as a ginger vision. (laughs) 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 Just a fucking weirdo. He he claimed to his would-be bandmates that he could play better than the drummer that they had, and he played in the set second half, nearly demolishing the drum kit in the process. How old was he? Uh, 17. Oh, okay. Yeah. Plus, like, drum kits are fucking expensive. (laughs) Like, stop breaking drums. Um, Moon's arrival in The Who changed the dynamics of the group. Sandom, the old drummer, had generally been the peacekeeper, as Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend argued between themselves, but because of Moon, the group now had four members that were frequently in conflict. So this is like a Fleetwood Mac type mess. So this
0: 17-year-old just rocks up to this band in all ginger and just starts like fighting with everyone. <laughs> yeah.
1: But you know what music's like. The kookier you are, like, the cooler you are. Like, yeah. Yeah. You'll be a draw for the crowds, you know? Nobody wants, like, a sensible drummer that's going to, like, <laughs> wear a nice shirt and, you know, not cause any problems. <laughs> they were in conflict for a few reasons. One of them was that during The Who's early days, he began taking amphetamines. In an NME interview, he said that his favourite food was French blues. Now, they are basically a type of amphetamine. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that it was at the time widely prescribed to tired housewives also known as black bombers <laughs> oh
0: my god
1: and, and the reason I'm laughing is because my stepdad's mum was telling us a story about how her friend got a load of black bombers and I didn't know what she meant and then she was like it was fantastic that like, I cleaned my whole house like <laughs> uh- <laughs> so she was basically telling her son how she did amphetamines at the 60s and like my stepdad was fucking horrified uh-huh. <laughs> But so they started to be heavily used by the mods and then they were being sold, resold as like a street drug. So uh, okay. doc- doctors stopped manufacturing them. Um, a bit like, uh, what's it called? Oxy- Oxycontin. Oxycontin.
0: Yeah, I think that's still here, but maybe yeah. not over there.
1: So, it, but it gets sold as a street drug, doesn't it? Because it's mm-hmm. quite like, it, it actually has like a proper good effect. I say good yeah. effect. Yeah. I mean whatever Um, (laughs) his constant antics and practical jokes earned him the nickname Moon the Loon So, Moon's favourite stunt was to flush powerful explosives down toilets he moved from cherry bombs to M80 fireworks to sticks of dynamite which became his explosive of choice (laughs) he quickly developed a reputation for destroying bathrooms and blowing up toilets his biographer Tony Fletcher wrote that no toilet in a hotel or changing room was safe until Moon had exhausted his supply of explosives
0: What did the toilets ever do to you, Keith Moon? (laughs) Like, why toilets specifically, you know? Because he's a kook, mate. He's kooky, (laughs) you know? (laughs) In one
1: incident, a hotel manager called called Moon in his room and asked him to turn down his music because it was making too much noise. In response, Moon asked him to come up to the room, excuse himself to go to the bathroom, put a lit stick of dynamite into the toilet and shut the bathroom door upon returning he asked the manager to stay for a minute because he wanted to explain something and then once the toilet exploded moon turned the music back on and said that my dear boy was noise uh, what a loser <laughs> i know I but he wished he had someone filming him it's like but you don't You don't have to
0: act like someone is filming you all the time. No. I also just imagine him coming out of the bathroom and being like, uh, can you just wait here a second? I just have something to say. And he's just looking at his watch while his manager's sitting there like, what? (laughs) Oh, can you imagine? Such a fucking night. Like, I wouldn't want to,
1: I wouldn't ever want to manage a hotel. Just the disgusting sex sheets, the fucking idiots making noise, like, It's my idea of hell. Yeah. So in a limousine on the way to the airport, Moon insisted they return to their hotel saying, I forgot something. And at the hotel, he ran back to his room, grabbed the television and threw it out the window into the swimming pool below. He then jumped back into the limo and said, I nearly forgot. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Moon began destroying rooms when the Who stayed at the Berlin Hotel in 1966. In addition to hotel rooms, Moon destroyed friends' houses and even his own, throwing furniture from upper story windows and lighting fires. Andrew Neal and Matthew Kent estimated that his destruction of hotel toilets and plumbing cost as much as three hundred thousand pounds, or five hundred thousand dollars. What? Um, what's his issue? Like, what? What's going well, on? I mean, he's like an
0: attention seeker, I guess. Is the only, is the best way to put it? So, Just like a nineteen-year-old fucking shit up for no reason. Yeah, exactly. Something must have so, made him angry in his life. Yeah, definitely.
1: In 1967, on their US tour, he bribed a stagehand to load gunpowder into one of his bass drums. Sorry, nearly dropped a glass. Um, The stagehand... I just just feel like I'm Keith Moon here, just kicking (laughs) shit about my room. The stagehand used used about ten times the standard amount. During the finale of My Generation, you know the song? Talking about my generation. He kicked the drum off the riser and set off the charge. The intensity of the explosion singed Pete Townsend's hair and embedded a piece of the symbol in Moon's arm. <laughs> what? You fucking knob. You could what have an idiot. <laughs> I know.
0: Do
1: you know what though, as like the eldest child, I can just feel your frustration being like Stop showing off <laughs> We just wanted to come here to see some music. Stop showing off in front of Pete Townsend. <laughs> <laughs> because the Hughes Early Stage Act relied on smashing instruments and because moon damaged hotels the group were in debt for most of the 60s it's estimated they lost about 150,000 pounds and even when the group became financially stable moon continued to rack up debts he bought cars and gadgets and was nearly declared bankrupt in 1975 his recklessness with money reduced his profit from the group's uk tour to 47 pounds 35 the equivalent of 400 pounds in 2019 so he what? got 400 400 quid for the whole
0: thing like well done
1: they were so famous as well. Yeah. So famous. Also, um, I just
0: realised this is around the same time as my story, so. Yes, it
1: really is. Um, I was going to say that, but then I thought, how many times do you want to interrupt her, for fuck's sake? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, this is this is the last story of his shittiness, and then I will I will get on to the, the good stuff. Okay. Um, Moon became involved in solo work when he moved to Los Angeles during the mid-1970s. And during one of his few televised solo performances, he played a five-minute drum solo dressed as a cat on, tra- on transparent... I couldn't leave this out. On transparent acrylic drums filled with water and goldfish. His performance was not appreciated by animal lovers, several of whom called the station with complaints. He later stated, when you've got money and you do the kind of things I get up to, people laugh and say that you're eccentric, which is a polite way of saying, you're fucking mad.
0: <laughs> of all said, the things... That last thing is like kind of cute compared to everything else.
1: (laughs) But you can you can imagine he's like a lovable rogue. Yeah. Like like I'm the youngest child and I feel like I do annoying shit but I get away with it, like because I'm I know how to be like charming and apologetic.
0: You sound like my husband.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I'm not taking your shit, Alyssa. (laughs) That's not funny. (laughs) I'm telling mum. (laughs) (laughs) So um, on the 4th of January 1970, Moon, his wife at the time, because he had like three wives, and uh, two wives actually, sorry, and several friends attending the opening of the Red Lion, which was a pub in Hatfield, Hertfordshire, owned by the son of his neighbours. So Hatfield, Hertfordshire is still like very near Essex, I think. I could be wrong. But yeah, it's like London-y outskirts. Um, the pub was full of working class skinheads, and they took offense at Moon's display of excessive rock star wealth. He was driving a Bentley and drinking ex- the most expensive brand in the
0: bar. So even I'm not, I'm not one of those working class guys, but I would still feel the same if I were in that pub. I'd be like, "Who is this dick driving around in his car?" Yeah.
1: I don't, like, I don't know if I. I mean, I call them a dick, but like, I wouldn't like care. But then I think it's, it's like the '70s and they're skinheads, so yeah, they'll be, they'll beat anyone up, like for an, yeah. like an excuse. By closing time, the scene had gotten ugly, so everyone got into Keith Moon's Bentley, lovely stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but they were prevented from leaving by a group of patrons who began rocking the vehicle and throwing coins. Okay. So, this is when a guy called Neil Boland, nothing to do with the uh, T-Rex band, Boland, um, who was Keith Moon's driver and bodyguard, left the Bentley and confronted the skinheads in front of the car's hood so they could get out of the pub. Like, how fucking brave is that? I guess he is a bodyguard, but still. yeah. Um, Moon, who couldn't even drive when he was sober, nonetheless tried to save his friends and drove away to safety. Tragically, neither he nor the other passengers realised that as the Bentley moved forward, Boland wound up underneath it and was dragged down the road. No. And then he was pronounced dead at the hospital that night.
0: Oh, no. Yeah, so... So Keith Moon was probably wasted, though. Oh, off his... Like, he was continuously
1: off his face, I'm sure, yeah. for the whole of the 60s and 70s. <laughs> right. Um, so the Who drummer, who was then 23 years old, was charged with and pleaded guilty to three offences, drunk driving, driving without a license, and driving without insurance. Six weeks later, it was ruled that the death was an accident, clearing him, although he later would plead guilty to the driving charges. Yeah. His, so his, he, body
0: saw, his bodyguard sounds like a really good guy. And yeah. the fact that he's ple- he pled guilty, maybe he actually did feel bad about it. Oh, dude, he felt
1: awful about it yeah like he didn't like he didn't lie like kennedy he didn't get a lawyer he didn't to be honest i think he was too drunk to do any of those things (laughs) right (laughs) but um so yeah there are conflicting reports as to whether or not moon was driving the guy who was run over neil boland's daughter through her own research was convinced that moon's wife kim was behind the wheel and that moon was trying to protect her Mm. but his his biographer tony fletcher interviewed jean batteo one of the passengers in the car that night and she confirmed that Keith was definitely the one driving the car. Those close to Moon said that he was haunted by Bolin's death for the rest of his life. According to Pamela Desbars, a groupie, Moon had nightmares which woke them both about the incident and and he said he had no right to be alive. Wow. But this Pamela Desbars, I googled her because I didn't know it said, according to Pamela Desbars, and I was like, who's that? So I (laughs) googled her and it was like she's a groupie (laughs) so she's literally just famous for fucking rock stars
0: (laughs) which is amazing
1: yeah um so after the of course she
0: would have been in the car
1: (laughs) yeah and his wife was there (laughs) Jeez. and then she's like yeah well i was fucking him and then we both woke up and he was she was like oh you okay yeah i'm having a nightmare like (laughs) she's just like yeah of course i was (laughs) of course i was fucking him like what do you want from me (laughs) It, like, on Google, that's what my job is, like, listed as. (laughs) (laughs) Groupie. Yeah, that's what, like, if you Google me, that's what comes up. So, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, after the incident in 1972, there was a break in their touring. And it's reported that Moon didn't practice drums. He put on weight and became really unfit. And at that time, he became a severe alcoholic. But to be perfectly honest with you, like, I think he's just an addict, like, through and through. And he's been... It's just that, that at that time, alcohol was his drug of choice. Right. Like, you've gone from amphetamines, which are an upper, when yeah. you're like younger, and you're younger and you're really skinny, then they got like banned, or whatever, and they're harder to get hold of, and then you turn to alcohol because it's a downer, because you feel down, and then you put on weight, which is what happens when you drink loads of alcohol. So, right. <laughs> You can put like the puzzle together. During the debut date of their 1973 Quadrophenia tour in California... Moon took a mixture of tranquilizers and brandy. During the concert, he passed out on his drum kit. The band stopped playing and a group of roadies carried him off stage. They gave him a shower and an injection of cortisone, sending him back on stage after a 30-minute delay. Moon passed out again and was again removed from the stage. The band continued without him for several songs before Pete Townsend asked, Can anyone play the drums? I mean, somebody good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and a drum, a drummer in the audience, Scott Halpin, came up and played the rest of the show. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> like, amazing! Can we take a minute to just have a hand for Scott Halpin? Yes, <laughs> Scott Halpin. <laughs> I sorry, we like, should. Like, a dream of a lifetime. Oh my god! Like well done. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. I bet he
0: was so glad that Keith Moon passed out. <laughs> I've seen Green Day a couple of times, and they they do this part in the show where they ask the audience, like, "Who here can play the guitar?" Fuck and they off. bring someone up. And they get them to play something and then they like sing to that song. So (gasps) That's so fun. Like I'm just imagining all the people that I love asking me to do that now. Like (laughs) those
1: will be my dreams tonight. Like I'll go I'll go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I'll go to sleep and I'll be like it'll be like diddle-diddle-diddle. It'll be like, (laughs) Talissa, come on
0: stage! (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite song to play? no you (laughs) you there in the crowd
1: (laughs) the one with the fringe (laughs) me oh me (laughs) i've like punched three girls to get out of the way (laughs) anyway i will genuinely dream of that later so in 1975 moon began a relationship with swedish model annette walter lax who later said that Moon was so sweet when he was sober that I was just living with him in hope that he would kick all this craziness. Mm. Like, no, mate. Yeah. Hope will not pay the bills. Don't live in wait. I'll tell you that now. <laughs> These, this is a pair of 32-year-old bitter women talking to you. <laughs> Welcome to the Bitter Women Show. Um, she begged a Malibu neighbour, Larry Hagman, to check Moon into a clinic to dry out. But when doctors recorded Moon's chemical intake at breakfast, it happened to be a bottle of champagne, cavossier, and amphetamines. They concluded that there was no hope for his uh, rehabilitation. Jesus. <laughs> breakfast, champagne, cavossier and amphetamines. I can't even look at, like, a fucking spicy taco without getting heartburn. Like... <laughs> When I look at that, I think, who has some Gaviscon? Like, <laughs> fuck that. Yeah.
0: That's my day done. The bottle of champagne, I'm done. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> I can't fair... even do mimosas. Because that's it, I'm done.
1: <laughs> yeah, but to be fair, the amphetamines would perk you up. <laughs> <laughs> they, really would, they really would give you a bit of get up and go. So, um, during the opening date of the band's March 1976 US tour at the Boston Garden... Moon passed out over his drum kit after two numbers and the show was rescheduled. The next evening, Moon systematically destroyed everything in his hotel room, cut himself doing so, and passed out. He was discovered by the band's manager, Bill Kirbishley, who took him to a hospital. Doctors told him that if he had not intervened, Moon would have bled to death. Marsh suggested that at this point, Daltrey and Entwistle seriously consider firing him, but decided they decided that doing so would just make his life worse. Okay. So, like, awful. Which, I guess... So, me and Carly have been watching Intervention. Yeah. Have you ever seen that show? Yes. So, it, If for anyone that hasn't seen it, it's basically, like, awful drug... Like, they are so badly addicted to drugs that they've just ruined their entire lives, basically, and their family's lives. Yeah. And their, their family are sick of it, and they, they stage an intervention. I just saw one today where this girl was addicted to um, huffing, like, this thing and it's like it cleans computers. So oh it's yeah, like sp- it's
0: like a little air, it
1: like yeah. plus air. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we have that here, but <laughs> maybe it's like banned or whatever. But yeah, she was like huffing those, like ten cans of it a day. Her family, they said at the intervention, because she wouldn't even talk to them, like she wouldn't even go in the room for the intervention. They said that they had, they had to cut all her money off because i think they were like paying for her flat they were like you have to cut all her money off you have to get the uh, animal control people around and uh get all her cats like you basically have to make her hit rock hit rock bottom okay so it's like what i'm trying to say is for Keith moon they
0: weren't helping him by yes, keeping him on
1: exactly that like they should have fired him because right. it would have given him a reason to give up yeah. Whereas like I think with drug addicts and stuff people feel bad they're like I don't want to make your life any worse than it already is but it's like you are being cruel to be kind.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what enabling is. Yeah, exactly.
1: So in mid 1978 Moon moved into flat 12 9 Curzon Place in Mayfair London and it was on loan from singer-songwriter Harry Nilsson. Um, I haven't heard of him but the Beatles cited him as one of their favorite American acts if you know who he is. Sounds familiar yeah um mama cass of the mamas and Mm papas had had died there four years earlier at the age of 32 so they're the ones that do um aren't they the ones that do all the leaves are all the leaves are brown i've done so much singing in
0: this fucking book and i believe she was also best friends with sharon tate
1: whoa yeah so many connections Mm mm-hmm it was a small world and he rented the flat to her and she died there when she was 32 so he was concerned about letting the flat to moon because
0: he was convinced that it was cursed also um, very depressing it's like this is already keith moon is already a messed up individual yeah, and now do you live in the you're dead giving house? him even more reason to be freaked out in his own home i don't think he fucking cared i think he just was like this is i think he was just giving it
1: to him for free basically because it says Mm. on loan it doesn't say he rented it out to him like right just said like fuck it if you want to stay there you can so i think he just was a like junkie that was like shit i want somewhere to live and it's in mayfair like that's the most expensive bit in the monopoly board why
0: can't (laughs) i mean that happens all the time in la where it's like rich people just let their friends stay in their house while they're in their other house in new york it's like why can't they just do that for normal people like me and you, Talissa? <laughs> because I am a sweaty, disgusting, poor mess. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll, take I'll take care of your house. I'll take care of your seven-bedroom, 8.2 million home in Beverly Hills while you're gone. I oh, know, it's outrageous. Uh, Pete Townsend
1: disagreed, assuring Nilsson that lightning wouldn't strike in the same place twice. Hmm. So I, I think you're getting a clue here. After moving in, Moon began a prescribed course of heminevrin, which is also known as clomethiazole. for any doctors out there. It's a sedative, and they use it to alleviate alcohol withdrawal symptoms because he wanted to get sober, but he had a fear of going to a psychiatric hospital and he wanted to do it at home. Okay. So this drug is discouraged for unsupervised detoxification because of its addictive potential.
0: Mm-hmm
1: its tendency to induce tolerance and its risk of death when mixed with
0: alcohol so yeah you should definitely not be fucking using this like yeah. without a doctor's supervision <laughs> this is Although, rehab drug he was probably like i've taken all the drugs under the sun i think i can handle myself with drugs and i think in the 60s and
1: 70s like doctors were like fuck it i'll just prescribe whatever you want and <laughs> yeah. like and he's rich enough to not have to go to an nhs doctor like right he would have gone to a private doctor. You know, he would have had, like, his own physician. who would have... He's being paid, and he'll do what his rich clients want him to do, maybe. I don't know. So, um, the pills were prescribed by Geoffrey Diamond, a physician who was unaware of Moon's lifestyle. Jeffrey, have you been living under a rock? (laughs) Anyway, so he prescribed him a bottle of 100 pills. Instructing him... Yeah, instructing him to take one pill when he felt a craving for alcohol, but not more than three pills a day. Like, if someone this gave guy's me an idiot. I'm sorry. Yes. In
0: this whole story, if there were any idiots named, he would be number one on the list. Second to Keith Moon. <laughs> yes. Oh no. So he's number one, and then Keith Moon second,
1: and then Annette for going out with Keith Moon. <laughs> yeah. So on the sixth of September, Keith Moon and his girlfriend Annette were invited to a film premiere of the Buddy Holly story by Paul and Linda McCartney Aww. at the at the Odeon Cinema in Leicester Square. Um, I've been there. So have I. What did you
0: see? Ah, uh, that one movie, uh, Tree of Life. <laughs> I was gonna say, Rach, I need more clues. <laughs> <laughs> you know that one movie? That movie? No. Um, uh, Tree of Life. It's I don't Tree of seen Life. It. It's just like very slow moving. It's like here's a five minute scene of space. Oh no, thanks.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen the Harry Potter like the last harry potter there oh and i i saw uh i was with an ex boyfriend who um he who shall not be named was a he was like a journalist a games journalist and a total prick if you're listening which you're probably not but <laughs> um, just in case and yeah. he took me to see the quentin tarantino one like where they're in a cabin in the middle of nowhere oh hateful eight that's the one yeah yeah hateful eight yeah it was really good so yeah it's, it's lovely cinema it's very grand and that's mm-hmm. why everyone does their yeah, uh, premieres there and yeah. it's slap bang in the middle of london as well so yes he said he didn't want to go but when annette told him she'd go anyway he changed his mind and called his dealer who delivered him some cocaine <laughs> i do not want to take cocaine and sit in a cinema no <laughs> that sounds like the worst thing ever it really does yeah like i get i get tetchy anyway <laughs> um so the couple arrived and annette had since insisted moon didn't drink or if he did limited himself to just two drinks well which is it mate right (laughs) but while he he had a bump of cocaine so yeah so while he yeah you don't need to drink as much so while he was still using cocaine the fact he didn't go wild on the free champagne was considered progress (laughs) 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 so funny um inside the cinema keith seemed agitated and insisted that they leave an hour into the movie Yep, that'll be the coke. Uh-huh. <laughs> he, he was restless and he said, I don't want to sit through this, let's go. <laughs> like, like you didn't see that coming. What do you expect? Is Annette. I think Annette might be really young and naive. I don't know. Um, but like, if that was me, I would say to my boyfriend, you're not getting coke because you're not going to sit in the cinema. <laughs> I want to
0: enjoy this movie. I don't want to sit next to you with your knee jiggling up and down (laughs) next to me. (laughs) Rattling the fucking row of seats like
1: a helicopter. (laughs) So um, Annette remembered Keith taking his usual glass of water and a bucket of pills (laughs) before before falling asleep around 4am. He'd been exceeding his prescribed dose of Hemineverin the same way he abused every other drug, but Annette hadn't quite realised how many pills he was taking. Um, and in her account, he woke up at seven thirty. She woke. Sorry, they both woke up at seven thirty a.m. He was in a bad mood and they argued. But he fell back asleep, and his snoring meant Annette went and slept on the sofa, where she slept until three forty p.m. Okay. After after wa- I think she'd had a sedative probably, but after waking up, she ventured back into the bathroom, back into the bedroom, where she found Moon lying on his stomach with his left arm hanging over the side of the bed. I couldn't hear him breathing and right there and then I knew that something was wrong and I went into a panic. Annette rang Dr. Diamond who called an ambulance but it was too late. Moon had been dead for some time but was officially pronounced dead at 5.50pm at Middlesex Hospital which was the same hospital that he was born in. Oh, Yeah. Guitarist Pete Townshend was the first Who member to be told the news by the group's co-manager. Um, Townshend called the vocalist Roger Daltrey and then the bassist John Entwistle who was being interviewed at the time. Not a man prone to public displays of emotion, whistle continued with the interview until until somebody asked him what the who what was the who's plans for the future. He was Moon's closest friend in the group, and he broke down into tears. The official cause of death was listed on his death certificate as Hem. Oh, fucking! Why do I keep writing this word down? I can't read it. <laughs> <laughs> Hemineverin. <laughs> sounds like a fucking Harry Potter spell, doesn't it? Yes. Hemineverin overdose, um, <laughs> self-administered, but no evidence of intention, open verdict. So they said he hadn't written a suicide note, so they're not sure if he meant to kill himself, but it was just bound to happen basically at some point. Yeah. It was discovered that he had 26 undissolved tablets in his stomach when he died. Jeez. Which sounds a bit like he did mean to do it.
0: With him, I can't really... Well, that's can't true. Tell because like he's been doing it basically half his life. Yeah. He is he's probably built a huge tolerance for all kinds of things yeah you know also he was most likely drunk at that point or or he was on yeah. cocaine or whatever so he probably he didn't wanted to go realize. to sleep yeah
1: also like if he wanted to go to sleep he might have just been like fuck it i'll just take another one i'll just take another yeah. one like, yeah yeah at moon's at moon's funeral adultery told the mourners he still half expected keith to leap from the coffin claiming that it was all a joke mm nilsen or oh, just the it just explodes <laughs> <laughs> nilsen distraught over another friend's death in his flat sold it to pete townsend and moved back to his life in los angeles um moon was cremated on the 13th of september 1978 at golders green crematorium in london and his ashes were scattered in its gardens gardens of remembrance Moon's drumming has been praised by critics. Um, author Nick Talevsky described him as the greatest drummer in rock, adding, he was to drums what Jimi Hendrix was to the guitar. Several rock drummers, including Dave Grohl, have cited Moon as an influence. Animal, one of Jim Henson's Muppet characters, <laughs> is said to have been based on Keith Moon due to their similar hair, eyebrows, personality, and drumming style. <laughs> I have heard that. I've heard that. Have you?
0: I didn't yeah. know that.
1: It's really cute, I think. Um, <laughs> And then uh, in 2008, English Heritage declined an application for Moon to be awarded a blue plaque. So you know what they are, right? In London, there's blue plaques like on buildings where famous people have lived. Yes. So speaking to The Guardian, Christopher Frayling said they decided that bad behaviour and overdosing on various substance substances wasn't a sufficient qualification. <laughs> the UK's Heritage Foundation disagreed with the decision presenting a plaque which was unveiled on the 9th of March 2009 Daltrey Townsend Robin Gibb, you know from the Bee Gees Yes and his and Keith Moon's mum Kit were present at the ceremony Aww. And that is the story of Keith Moon and Neil Boland
0: Nice I knew that Keith Moon just hit someone with his car but I didn't know how messed up of an individual he actually was
1: I didn't know that. Like, I thought it was just like Ozzy Osbourne, basically, that like bit the head off a bat, and that was the yeah. Same. That was that had just kind of like snowballed into everyone thinking that rock stars were like that. But I guess right. Keith Moon started it by blowing up toilets. <laughs> Seriously, though, once you've run over your f- very good friend, wouldn't you think I need to fucking sort myself out?
0: Yeah, it's time to sober up. Surely, you could tell he already had issues if he's messing up hotel rooms and his own home and putting explosives in the toilet like what kind of issues do you have and then you accidentally kill someone you probably don't know how to handle yourself at all I was gonna yeah you're too deep into the hole by that point
1: right even to be able like the only answer is more drugs and more booze yeah because you're like well things maybe I would sort myself out if things got better but now they've just got astronomically worse
0: right and also in your early 20s you're not exactly surrounded by the people who are, have your best interests at heart. You're, And if you're a rock star, you're around people who just want to have fun with you, who just want to use you for your money. And your you drugs. Know.
1: Yeah. But earlier, we were talking about the stories and you were like, celebrities just run people over, like, fuck's sake. And I was like, that's what mine's about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> but, like, I was doing research and, like, obviously there were a lot of them where it was... It was an accident, you know? It was... Like uh, so, who was it? Matthew Broderick hit. Someone. I was just about to say that. Yeah, in yeah. Ireland. I can't believe
1: that. I didn't know that. Was it like a whole family or something that he It killed? was
0: a. Uh, it was a young. It was like a woman around our age, and then I think it was her seventy-year-old mom or something. Like they hit that well because I yeah I, I have never heard that. They buried
1: that right nice right. Or there was like um because. Like I said, England is really hard. Like, you've got fucking Phil Spector, you've got OJ, you've
0: got yeah, all
1: the massive ones. Right.
0: <laughs> and and then, I like, really wanted, I wanted to celebrate. do Phil Spector as well, because I didn't really, I don't know that whole story. No, I um, don't really. But, yeah, I knew I would be getting into another hole if I did him as well. Yeah.
1: For a very, very, very long time, I believe that Phil Spector was Regina Spector's dad. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny, but like... <laughs> I was like telling people. I was like, did you know? Why did, why did I do that? <laughs> Wait, how did you find out he wasn't? I don't know. <laughs> I think one day I just thought, I better Google that, because I've been telling people like it's fucking headline news. So, oh God, sometimes... Don't believe a word
0: that comes out of my mouth, Rachel. <laughs> Such a bullshitter. I was hoping that you would do Sid Vicious, because I I wanted well, to hear about that. St- I wanted to research that one, but oh, obviously do you? Well, that wasn't to, English, or that wasn't to, American.
1: Listen to My Favourite Murders last episode, because they did it. Oh, really? I didn't <laughs> That's know why that. I didn't do it. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. That would have been a great one, if yeah. it hadn't just been done. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're ripping them off too badly anyway for us to just do that. Right. <laughs> uh, okay, well, um,
0: please uh, rate, subscribe, <laughs> tell your friends. We don't have to do this every time because we already have, like, a recorded thing at the end that oh, I, I always s- inject in. But Can you
1: see me getting sweatier? Like, I'm so yes. hot. <laughs> I'm really overwhelmed. All right, well, we're okay. going to say
0: goodbye because it's getting hot and... Because we've had enough. Cool <laughs> yeah, I've had enough. I've had enough. Alright, let's stop recording. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to Transatlantic Crime this week. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you'd like to follow us on social media,
1: you can find us on Twitter at TransatCrimePod, Pod, Instagram at TransatlanticCrime, and on Facebook with Transatlantic
0: Crime Podcast. Thanks, bye. <laughs>